we certainly are hopeful that each has had a good day this Sunday, and it's another blessed opportunity that we've been given to assemble in the way that we are at this present hour to reflect yet again on the attributes of worship as we studied them this morning and to offer unto God the worship that you and I know that He so rightfully and wonderfully deserves. As surely as we come together for an occasion such as this one, you may have already noticed, in light of the lesson, we're going to be reflecting on the angel of the Lord tonight and give some particular thought to several intriguing passages that touch the subject of that angel of the Lord. In fact, just to begin that consideration, this opening slide will be a general introduction, at least inviting you to consider the following. This phrase, angel of the Lord, occurs many times in the Bible. In fact, by my count, we were at 68 times in the King James Version of the Bible. 68 occurrences, and what's more, the phrase angel of God, as you can see later on the slide, it too occurs about 14 times. So to say all that is to say, when you and I give thought to this angel of God, this angel of the Lord, as he is often referenced, I wonder who that is. For instance, isn't it true in the, among the angelic host? We know about Michael. We even encounter Gabriel. And we even see that the number of angels based on Revelation 5 is very large. Do we have an identification of who this angel is? Any information that might point us in a direction of understanding more interestingly and carefully who this angel may well be. I would invite you to notice I've tried to divide the lesson into two parts. The first is merely a recollection of, a consideration of several of those passages in which the references are found, and to let the context speak for itself, pointing us in the direction of appreciating that text and who well might be under consideration. And then a little bit later, we'll use the second part of the lesson to, in fact, draw that even stronger. And so why don't we begin like this? First of all, what about some Old Testament references? You may have noted that just a moment ago, Joe read from Exodus chapter 2. Could I turn your attention back to that place? Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And likely it's an image quite familiar to each of us. We can well imagine, here was Moses tending this flock on the backside of this place, recognized more or less as a mountainous desert. And yet there was this bush. It was on fire, and it was consumed in many ways in terms of burning completely, but the bush itself wasn't consumed. At this point, you notice verse 2 had mentioned the angel of the Lord. If I could continue, continue on in that reading, notice what it is that followed it. Verse number 3, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. As you notice in that conversation as it developed, there was a rather quick identification, at least in that instance, wasn't there? The angel of the Lord is what had been mentioned to us in verse number 2. And in so doing, you notice that the appearance in regard to that bush then led us to notice in verse number 4 that it's the Lord that spoke out of that bush. 
there you and I are given some interesting appreciation that the angel of the Lord apparently there was one and the same with the Lord Himself. One and the same with the God of heaven. You might begin to notice that's an intriguing thought. As you and I continue, though, to consider those matters, what about the next one? On that slide, could I point you back to the book of Genesis? In Genesis 16, we again encounter the appearance of this angel of the Lord. You and I might keep in mind that which was in occurrence there. It related to the days of Hagar. You might recall, without rereading all of those particulars, how that Abraham came to get Hagar pregnant, and it was, quite frankly, the idea of his wife, Sarah. However, what we quickly appreciate was that indeed, after Hagar conceived, she began to feel a little bit differently towards Sarah, and Sarah didn't like it. And so Sarah thrust out Hagar, and yet here was Hagar now, not, no longer in the confines of provision of Abraham's household. As you read in chapter 16, these words are now found. Genesis 16, beginning in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, so here's the angel now speaking, And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Again, did you note the particular presentation? Here an angel of the Lord appeared to this wandering Hagar. And as she developed a conversation with this angel of the Lord, she then made the comment, Thou God seest me. She referred to that angel as though he were God. Now, as you reflect upon that with me, you'll notice that along the way, wasn't it true that that angel shared with Hagar some rather amazing truths? The angel said, I'm going to multiply your seed, and they're going to be numbered so greatly. Well, who else but God would have known that? Who else besides the God of heaven could have made a promise along that line? Isn't that somewhat reminiscent of the promise that was made to Abraham, that his seed would be numbered as the sand of the sea, that his seed would be as numerous as the stars of heaven? And yet when God made that assertion to Abraham in Genesis 13, doesn't it remind us here something quite comparable to that was worded to Hagar under the appreciation of this angel? So far, those two examples have been very intriguing, haven't they? As you and I close that slide, what about another one? As you look at the next slide, what if we journey forward to Genesis 22, verses 1 to 18? That scene is probably one of the most familiar in all the book of Genesis. It was that interesting case in which God directed Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, to offer him on Mount Moriah. 
It is the case, of course, that Abraham dutifully followed those instructions of the Lord. But when they arrived at this place, you remember that which took place. He bound his son, placed him on the altar, and proceeded toward the reality of offering him. And yet, Abraham was restrained. Notice the way that restraint took place. Can I point your attention without reading all of that text to Genesis 22, beginning in verse number 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now that scene is likely quite familiar to us, but could I invite you to notice that that angel had more conversation with Abraham, and verse 15 takes us forward to this. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thee. I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. As you note that second conversation, did you notice there the angel of the Lord made this observation? By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. That which was referred to as the angel in one verse is now said to be the Lord in this one. We've now seen three occurrences, three circumstances in which the phrase the angel of the Lord has been identified, and in each instance it has been none other than some element of Jehovah Himself. The next one will take us to Genesis 31. This particular scene might be less familiar than the three we've noticed so far. But in Genesis 31, beginning in verse 11, this rather unusual set of circumstances developed. And the angel of God spake unto me, this is Jacob, in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out of this land." And return unto the land thy kindred. Of course, the circumstance had been that Jacob, no, after that which took place with regard to Esau, he journeyed to a far distant place and stayed, you see, with his mother's kinfolk for quite some time. You'll notice here, though, after Laban had mistreated him and done some things unto him which were not entirely right, you notice here that the angel of God had conversation with Jacob. 
But you'll notice that angel rather quickly said, I am the God of Bethel. Well, here's now a fourth occurrence in which though reference had initially been made to the angel of the Lord, or in this case, the angel of God, we then notice that as the proceedings developed, it turned out to be none other than God Himself. All of this is beginning to sound very intriguing, very, very interesting to us without doubt. Let's look at the next one. Could I turn your attention to Numbers 21? And really, it begins in chapter 22, but some of the prefacing issues started in chapter 21. We'll not read all of this, for quite frankly, it consumes several chapters of the Word of God. But the person who in many ways occupies their attention, there is Balaam. You remember Balaam. He was that fellow who had opportunity for the presentation of curses or blessings. And in so doing, he was highly regarded and highly respected by many of those in that day and time and in that area. As you come to chapter number 22, could I draw your attention without reading all 41 of those verses to just notice a couple of them. Numbers chapter 22, and it'll read like this. Beginning early in that chapter, you notice that again, Balaam was the first one under discussion for us. And what you begin to notice, beginning in verse number 22, is this. And God's anger was kindled because He went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. You and I well recall that Balaam was riding upon his ass, his donkey, and he was again journeying to the place wherein Balak, this king, had invited him to come and pronounce cursing upon the children of Israel. Now God initially, of course, didn't want Balaam to go, and he had told him that. But yet Balaam asked God a second time, and you and I remember he saddled up his donkey and off he went, and isn't it interesting that here there was an angel of the Lord. Over the next several verses, the donkey would turn himself aside out of the way because an angel was standing with sword in hand, ready to take the life of Balaam. And the donkey had enough sense not to journey to where the angel was being seen by the donkey. But Balaam didn't see the, didn't see the angel. This happened three times. Isn't it interesting that Balaam would beat the donkey? Why aren't you going the way that I'm desiring you to go? And so he would threaten and beat the donkey. Finally, after the third occasion, we notice the following statement is made. I'll start reading in verse 29. And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since? I was thine unto this day. Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times, unless ye had turned from me. Surely now also I had slain thee, and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. For I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me, 
Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. As you and I continue reading, you'll notice that the language, the wording that was presented to Balaam, here's what you say, and yet later that was called the word of the Lord. Later it was referenced as the very message from heaven. But yet it had earlier been housed in the language of that angel. It might well be that the pattern is becoming rather evident, at least in some ways. The very last one on that slide is Judges chapter 2. We again perhaps can already appreciate by way of remembrance what occurred at that time. The children of Israel had disobeyed the God of heaven. They had not done in light of the land of Israel what ought to have been done. God told them to go in and to clear out that land. And yet they had not done that. They had allowed the Canaanites to remain. They had allowed the people who had lived there to stay. And of course that was not what God had in mind. In that particular set of verses I've asked you to consider, God asked them a question under the character of an angel. The angel of the Lord is the one that asked it, and yet it says, You have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. Why have you done this? What a great question. And yet as that particular conversation developed, we again are led to appreciate rather strongly that that angel was none other than the God of heaven himself. All of this having been said, isn't it an interesting thing to think about the angel of the Lord in the context of being the God of heaven himself. There's only a handful more, and then we'll be ready to draw our first observation of the evening. In Judges chapter 6, you remember Gideon, one of the well-known judges of the people of Israel. And yet, as a conversation between the angel of the Lord and Gideon developed, it is said in Judges 6.14, one more time, though that one was previously called an angel, it is there said to be the Lord. That is said again in verse 23 of the same chapter. But all the while, we are reminded that here was Gideon, this person of Israel, who was desirous of merely being an humble servant to God. And yet, as this angel visited him, that angel told him things that only God would be able to know. He assured him of victory over the Midianites and assured him of language and characteristics of the influence that he would have. I would again offer you the thought that the angel, one more time, was the Lord, was God. In Judges chapter 13, another instance from the same book, this time it was Manoah and his wife. You may recall that Manoah and his wife were to be the parents of a little boy. That little boy was none other than Samson. And yet, as that initial pregnancy, as the conception took place, it is amazing that a conversation between the angel of the Lord and Manoah's wife took place. And again, the angel related to her various and sundry things, not only about the pregnancy, but about the life of Samson, what he would be like, what he would do, and that he would be a Nazarite. As all of that was indicated, one more time, who else but God could have known some of that? It might well be that the last one is a recollection from Hosea chapter 12. 
In fact, as you look at some of the closing statements of the book of Hosea, it has 14 chapters, but in chapter number 12, these thoughts are noted. The writer there drew us back and pointed us all the way back to Genesis 32, wherein was a circumstance involving the life and times of Jacob who wrestled with an angel. You and I remember that. That's where his name was changed to Israel. And yet at that time, you will recall in Genesis 28, sorry, Genesis 32, those closing verses of that chapter, that that scene, that that scene is there said to have involved an angel. The angel was the Lord. As you close that slide with me, aren't these questions now pertinent? In all these instances, we have been reminded that reference, though made to an angel of God or to the angel of the Lord, turned out to be God Himself. I would not want you to suppose that every phraseology and every occurrence in the Bible is that way, for not all of them are. But surely these before us have been very interesting. On this next slide, why don't we consider that more thoroughly like this? This angel of the Lord, this angel of God, as these verses at least have brought, brought it before us, if that has turned out to be the Lord, and those verses indicated that it was, which member of the Godhead was it? Was that God the Father that appeared? Was that God the Son that appeared? Was that God the Spirit that appeared? I believe you and I might will reach a conclusion about the answer to that question, especially as we reflect upon it this way. First of all, isn't it true? We are assured more than once in the Word of God that no man has seen God, referring to the Father, at any time. Not only is that stated in John 1.18, it's highlighted yet again in the Ephesian letter and one more time in the book of 1 John. And all the while, isn't that an impetus, isn't that a teaching to us about the fact that it appears as though this angel of the Lord, as representative of the Lord, apparently wasn't the Father. It apparently was not Him. Because in some of those instances you may recall that there were those who thus saw that angel. Looking even beyond that, if you and I thus eliminate the Father from consideration, may we ask about the Spirit? Could it be that those references to the Spirit were in terms of the angel of the Lord? It does not seem so. We are given no statement, no reference, no passage in the Word of God that would lead us to believe that the Spirit was the one who took upon those particular forms, that behaved in that kind of way. In fact, as you and I are taught, taught about the nature of the Spirit, His message and His particular work centers around the revelation of the matters of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9-14. through 14. In addition to that, the Spirit's operation was rather carefully highlighted in ways other than things like that in texts such as John 16, verses 13 and following. But isn't it true, if you eliminate those two, that leaves but one. What about the Son? Could it be that these references to the angel of God or the angel of, 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 of the Lord, could they have been to the pre-incarnate Christ? those Old Testament passages in Judges or in Exodus or even in Genesis, could it be that Christ, prior to the time He was born to Mary in Bethlehem, we know He was living, He is deity. 
could it be that those are references in which we see work by the Son on earth before He was born in Bethlehem? Isn't that an amazing thought if that be true? That He would have interest in the developments of, of, of the human family. That He would be involved in the characteristics of the human family involved in the motivation of the seed of Abraham through Jacob to bring about his very own birth at the right time and the right place. For after all, his motivation in the life of Abraham, his motivation in the life of Dave, I'm sorry, the life of Jacob, his place in the life of Gideon and others, preserving the children of Israel and allowing them to remain so that in fact the great salvation for all people could come through himself by way of the cross and the shedding of His blood at the right place and at the right time. Isn't it true that we are taught in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. As you look back to that slide that's now before you, the word angel, as you and I perhaps well know, simply carries the thought of messenger. And surely in the New Testament, it is quite frequently utilized that way. There are three passages that I would encourage you to consider with me as it relates to Jesus in connection to the concept of a messenger. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 and following, near the very end of the Old Testament. In fact, the last book in the Old Testament. But in that place, you and I remember that there it was stated about the nature of, Mal of, the nature of John the Baptist how that he was the forerunner for the Christ, and yet in that context, the word messenger appears. Could it thus be that Jesus was there highlighted in a way that would involve the concept of a messenger as he was aiding in the preparing for the very character and the great matter that, of course, was to be his own coming? In John chapter 1, verses 1 and following, you and I recall the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Logos, you see, is connected in some ways to at least the concept of a messenger. Remember, the Word word carries information, things sent, and yet Jesus is called the Word. The final one I would mention is Hebrews 3 verse 1. There it is interesting that Jesus Himself is called the Apostle, the one sent. That's what the word Apostle means. The Lord was sent. He brought a message, John 12, 49, and that message is the very one that ultimately brought the great matter of truth by way of God to the human family. It would seem then, in light of some of these thoughts, that you and I are led to appreciate that although the great work of the Christ would surround the cross and that it would surround the message of the gospel which He revealed. We shouldn't overlook the fact that the angel of the Lord in so many Old Testament passages was Him. Teaching and sharing and motivating and moving and providing the impetus and the incentive for folks such as Jacob and such as Abraham and such as Gideon and others that they would carry forth the work of God and do so dutifully and do so faithfully. As you close that particular slide with me, isn't it an interesting thing in that context to perhaps wrap our mind around 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4? 
as the New Testament writer Paul would address the church at Corinth, he directly pointed out to him that that rock that they followed, and that was the children of Israel, the rock that they followed was Christ. Jesus was all along, you see, in light of the character of the movement of the children of Israel through the land that was the wilderness. He was the rock that they followed. The rock was Christ. So often when you and I then think about the Old Testament, I hope we can begin to think more about how that the pre-incarnate Christ was a force in those proceedings and was involved in that set of works. As you and I transition to this next slide, let's continue the identification by making a couple of closing thoughts. I pointed out earlier that many times, 68 times in the Bible, this phrase, the angel of the Lord appears. And I read some of those occasions, but I didn't read all of them. Because there are some occasions when it's clear that the angel of the Lord is not Jesus the Christ. It's clear in passages such as Luke 2 verse 9. Remember, the angel appeared, the angel of the Lord, but yet Jesus had just been born and He was in a manger in Bethlehem. So there He couldn't have been the Lord Himself. Not only that, in Matthew chapter 2 verse number 19, we see one more time that the angel of the Lord was rather active, but again, it couldn't have been the Lord, Jesus the Christ, because again, He had just been born. I would again offer us the thought, we surely must be mindful of the context. There are some instances where the angel could not have been Jesus the Christ. But there are many other occasions, as you and I have seen tonight, wherein we are led to note rather clearly that that angel of the Lord was none other than God the Son. None other than the second member of the Godhead and none other than the very one that would later be Jesus the Son, Jesus the Christ. I hope we've each been motivated to understand then that God has had interest in the human family. That interest is so keen and so sharp. And that interest on the part of the Son began before He was born in Bethlehem. We've even seen it tonight in the Old Testament. When He spoke to Hagar and reminded her that her seed would be numerous, and not only that, the Lord was the one speaking to her, and she identified Him. We saw in the case, you see, concerning Jacob himself. We also saw it concerning Abraham, didn't we? Tonight, when you and I then think about the angel of the Lord, why don't we conclude this lesson this way? Our study of the angel of the Lord has reminded us about some Old Testament fantastic presentations. And as you and I have been led to appreciate the comments and the work on behalf of those angels... We have seen in those instances how that the angel was identified many times as Jesus the Son, as the second member of the Godhead. Isn't it fascinating too that though we didn't allude to it tonight, we are led to notice that even as the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness and they saw a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, that we too noticed how that that too could be seen to be prompted by the work of that same angel which was, of course, the Son. Tonight, isn't it true that the Lord loves each of us? He gave His life for us, and He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be faithful in terms of our following of Him. We've even seen back as far as the Old Testament, He desired that faithfulness and acted on behalf of it. 
tonight if there be someone in this assembly whose life is not as it ought to be perhaps once a faithful Christian but as if tonight that's no longer able to be said in truth we want you to know the Lord loves you and we do as well and we want you and the Lord wants you above all else to be faithful to his side if we could be of some assistance tonight if you're prepared to make repentance of those sins to make confession of them the Lord will wonderfully forgive those things and welcome you home to a faithful place at His side. If you would wish to become a Christian tonight, you need to believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to repent of your sins and confess His name and to be baptized. We would be delighted to assist, to encourage, and to help in that regard. And Brother Don has chosen a song of encouragement. If we could be of some assistance now, we'd love to do that while together we stand and while we sing.